You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 84 by Rudolf Steiner, his last 11 public lectures, entitled The Aims of Anthroposophy and the Purpose of the Gertianum, translated by Matthew Barton. This is the Lecture 2, entitled Enhancing Human Powers of Perception to Develop Imagination, Inspiration, and Intuition, given in Dornach on the 14th of April, 1923. During this course for teachers and those interested in education, the special anthroposophic courses I will give alongside it are intended to be accessible also to people who have only recently encountered anthroposophy or who are right at the beginning of studying it. Much of what I will say here, therefore, will be a kind of repetition for those more versed in anthroposophy. And yet I think that such repetition can also be very useful in various respects. The subject I will speak on today is intended as a kind of further elaboration of what I presented in the public lecture I gave last week in various places in Switzerland. It will follow on from that lecture and develop in certain ways. If we survey the whole compass of human life, we find that it can be divided into two strictly separate parts, a life we lead when awake, thus our ordinary waking consciousness, and the other aspect of life, usually shorter when we are asleep. This part of our life is one plunged in unconsciousness, in which consciousness only flares up momentarily in the colorful variety of our dream world. Thus, if we speak from the perspective of human consciousness, we have to say that during waking life our mind is filled with the content supplied by our senses. What we learn about the world through our senses is, we can say, present as images in our mind. We experience this. Whether in ordinary life or in science, we connect what our senses tell us with our ideas, our thoughts. That is, we combine our sense perceptions, seeking to discover lawfulness within this sensory world we apprehend. The faculty of thinking is what we use to do this. We connect the ideas and thoughts we can acquire by means of our thinking capacity with our sense impressions. And then there is something else we also elaborate during waking life. One impression may be pleasant to us, another unpleasant. Sympathy is elicited in us by certain impressions, antipathy by others. This sympathy and antipathy is present in the most varied ways and nuances. We refer to this inner experience of things, the pleasure, pain, elation or sorrow they give us, as our feelings about them, and we distinguish clearly, no doubt, between our feelings and thoughts, with the latter offering us something more in the nature of outward representation of the world. Our thoughts do not live only within us, but represent something outward. Through our thoughts we acquire something of the outer world. 
The very word picture as a verb means that we gain an impression from outside ourselves. What we picture inwardly comes from without initially. Thus picturing and thinking point us outward, whereas feeling points us inward. We have the definite sense that what we feel is experienced in a more inward way and that it is not as directly connected with outer things as the mental picture or thought. But there is something else we experience too. An angry dog will cause some people to run away. Some people will run off if they catch sight of a mouse. And other outward impressions and realities similarly instigate actions. In this case we speak of our will being activated. Whereas feelings can unfold in us without external motion, through our will, to put it very roughly for now, our whole organism comes into activity or motion relative to the outer world. Thus we speak of the conscious mind as it functions during the day, and we distinguish between the waking state and the unconscious, which is also part of our life, in which we are immersed during the hours of sleep. And out of this unconsciousness also rises the colorful variety of our dream life. But now let us consider for a moment matters of importance for ordinary human consciousness. The ordinary mind can see how the world of dreams rises out of unconscious sleep and glimmers into consciousness. And then in waking experience we become aware similarly of thinking, feeling and will. How can we give an easily accessible account of this difference between our unconscious state from which dreams emerge and our fully waking condition. Well, it will not take long to realize that in waking life we feel ourselves to be involved, engaged with what we call our physical organism. Then, consider the dream world that unfolds before you in pictures. In this condition you are not involved in your physical organism. On awakening we feel especially that the will penetrates our physical organism again. Our senses, too, need to be controlled and managed by the will in waking life. And thus we can say that the sleeping state from which dreams emerge passes over into the waking state by virtue of the fact that we engage the will, if you like, in our physical organism. Let us, therefore, look at this physical organism for a moment. Even just in saying this, I am appealing, really, to your capacity for sense observation. I'm appealing to what you know as a result of this capacity for sense observation. Initially, indeed, you can have no knowledge of this physical organism beyond what the senses furnish you with and what you can think about it. No school of anatomy or physiology knows anything about this physical organism other than what the senses teach us to know and what can be comprehended through thinking as it combines and interrelates sense perceptions. But this will draw our attention to the fact that we must first have recourse to the senses, and we become aware of this as we employ the mind. If we wish to know anything about the world in general and the physical human organism in particular, the senses and thinking. So, let us now examine the senses for a moment and consider in an easily accessible way 
what our senses show us in relation to two characteristically different states, those of waking and sleeping. People generally reflect too little on these matters, since, if they are not actually blind, they receive the lion's share of conscious experience from their eyes, which are precisely the organs that close when we are asleep, so that outer impressions are kept at bay. But think now the other senses. Can you believe that your ear, if you do not plug it, provides you with experiences during sleep that are different from those you have in waking life in the physical body? If you properly consider the physical body and do not stop up your ears at night, it is impossible to think that something different occurs in your physical ears when you sleep from what occurs when you are awake. There are no grounds for this to be true, but the fact you are unaware of it is a quite different matter. Or let us inquire into the sense of warmth. We perceive heat and cold. Do you think that the temperature you perceive when awake, the heat, stops short of your skin while you are asleep? It will naturally exert the same action upon your skin at night as it does during the day. Thus, with the exception of the sense of sight, you are exposed to the very same impressions while asleep as when you are awake. If that were not the case, you would have to assume that while asleep you were covered by some kind of warmth shield that keeps the heat away. You would have to assume that some good spirit plugs your ears so that external impressions are no longer able to enter them. Considering this, you will realize that the eye, E-Y-E, is so sensitive that the human organism has arranged matters so that by an act of will we close the curtains of our eyelids at night while we are asleep. However, it is true to say that the external world does help a little to keep sense impressions at bay while we are sleeping. Recently there was a newspaper article saying that it would be more pleasant for people in Basel who live near music venues and want to sleep at night if concerts would end at half past ten in the evening instead of eleven. This is a clear indication that people would prefer to have their ears spared but this can only be done in an external way. To sum up, the outer world continues to act upon all our senses while we are asleep, apart from the eyes. And then we must go on to ask what happens with our thinking, our thoughts. We might start from various angles in tackling this question, but in our era, modern science has gained widespread acceptance, and so Modern people are aware that every sense transmits impressions on into the body via nerves, and that these impressions therefore continue inward and connect sensory perception with thinking. You see, if it is the case, even in the relative stillness of the night, that your ear remains open to auditory impressions in your surroundings, in the same way as when you are awake, then why should these impressions cease to continue via the nerves into our thinking? In other words, your physical organs, with the exception of the eyes, do not fend off sense impressions at night, nor do they keep thoughts at bay. And you can see, though this inevitably remains a little hypothetical for outward observation, even if social customs do allow for certain senses to be undisturbed at night, that this does not apply to other senses, 
such as the sense of temperature, heat, and cold, nor to the sense of touch. If you press your thumb on the table, you feel the pressure, don't you? So why would you not perceive pressure also when you lie on your back in bed? Naturally, you must perceive this pressure, mediated by the sense of touch, throughout the night. Likewise, if you place something on your hand, you feel it. So why would you not feel the blanket too while you are asleep? And, as well as this, why would the senses not continue to convey sense impressions to your mind and thoughts? Thus, if we observe things with an open mind, we have to say that even when the physical body lies in bed during sleep, it still goes on receiving sense impressions in the usual way. We still have the same experiences that we are conscious of in the day as thoughts. And just as we know nothing of sense impressions, despite them existing at night, our thoughts still exist, although we know nothing of them. People are not usually aware of the fact that they keep thinking all the time they are asleep, but do not know it. Just as little as we are aware of the pressure of the blanket on us, so we know nothing of the thoughts that go on unfolding in sleep. We keep thinking all our lives, not only when we are awake. Though these thoughts are not conscious during sleep, they still live in us. And therefore we are pervaded with a world of thoughts also from the moment we fall asleep to the moment of awakening. Now let's consider a person just waking up in the morning. We wake up. Let's say we awaken from our dreams. By studying certain dreams, we can very easily discover how quickly a dream runs its course, so that as we awaken, it has come to its end. Everyone is different, of course, but let's imagine that something like this happens in a dream, that you get into a fierce argument with someone, and this degenerates into a shouting match. As you know, we are sometimes far less polite in our dreams than we are in daily life. So this degenerates into a shouting match. Let's say the other person in your dream punches you and at that moment you wake up to find that a raindrop has fallen on your cheek. In fact, this was what woke you, the raindrop. The whole dream, that seemed to have lasted a long time, was actually caused by the raindrop at the moment you awoke. We can observe very similar things in countless dreams. They actually take next to no time, instigated by some cause, and may have a dramatic content. So, let's say you wake up with a dream. You will find, if you really examine it closely, that a dream provides something that you could not have otherwise thought, based on your experiences. You would have entertained other thoughts than these when awake. As we know, dream clothes in a sometimes fantastical guise the experiences it brings to our sleeping mind. Take the example I gave you just now. If a raindrop falls on your cheek in the daytime, you have a quite different picture of this than the dramatic one of getting into a fight and an argument with someone. The heated exchange of words may take a rather long time. Seemingly, culminating in the slap or the punch, which is when you wake up. During the day, this experience would have been a very simple one, a sense impression and a thought that follows from it. 
but in the dream as you awaken, you have a very dramatic experience, far more elaborate. And yet when you are dreaming will almost invariably be composed of sense experiences that you have already had or might have, or also inner experiences in the body and such like, all of which can give rise to dreams. The more dreams you study, the more you will come to see the actual nature of dreaming. When you are awake, you see colors, bright and dark, you hear sounds, you perceive temperature, hot and cold. You interrelate these sensations through your faculty of reason. And in doing so, you have a clear sense that you are working from within outward. Within you is your will, through which you engage with all this, working from within outward. Let us leave aside for now what exactly it is that is working from within you. What is clear is that you feel you take hold of your sense impressions and in some way order them by means of your thinking. You combine and interrelate them and so on, doing all this from within you. And when you dream, you will see, if you reflect upon it, that you have images in you similar to those of sense impressions. You need only think of a vivid dream you have had, and you will recall images, colors, someone moving, and so forth. Images are there as they are for us in our sense perceptions. The difference is that in sensory experience, these images, as it were, overlay the solid objects around us, whereas in dreams they hover and float freely. And the dream also reveals thoughts, even invoking the cause and effect of which science is so proud. We do not only dream in images, but in connections and contexts. All this is present. So, if you carefully study dreams, you will acknowledge that the experiences of dream are the very reverse of your waking life. The reverse while I'm awake, I know that I am receiving sense impressions and that my thoughts are ordering them. When I dream, sense impressions initially overwhelm me. And in these sense impressions lives a kind of context and interconnection that is otherwise given by daytime thoughts. Just as we assign sense impressions to a larger context, the same is true in dreaming. And if you think properly about these things, you will find that in dream, things are actually reversed. You encounter sense impressions for which you cannot easily grasp the thinking correlate. That is why the sense impressions of dream are so inconsistent and illogical. You cannot get a hold of the thinking that will order them. In waking life, depending on whether you are more prosaic or more imaginative, by and large you hold sway over your sense impressions. You know that you, you possess thinking and by using it you can master the impressions you receive, which are at somewhat more of a distance from you. In brief, if you reflect carefully on this, you can sense that you live from within, outward, during waking life. The sense impressions are outside you, and there's a drawing yellow arrows, and within you is thinking, purple arrows. The reverse is true when you dream, red arrows. Then you first encounter sense images, but cannot get hold of the thinking underlying them.
you can't find the way to it properly. This is why thinking in dream life is so haphazard and various. By properly observing, you can distinguish the nature of dream and sense reality. In ordinary waking sense reality, you live from within outward, in intimate proximity with your thinking. Thinking is closer to you, and you employ it to interrelate and coordinate your sense impressions. When dreaming, and we can discover this by observation, we must be outside ourselves, for we cannot properly approach thinking. This is why such a curious logic is at work in dreams, because thinking is on the other side. Thus, when awake, we are here, and when we sleep, we are out there, see drawing. But we have just come back in, for we pass over then into our ordinary waking state, where we are intimately connected with thinking. Try to feel this. When dream unfolds, it is running toward ordinary day consciousness. You are rushing back in to your ordered thinking, traveling through the surface of your body. You pass through your eyes, but from without. You have not reached the optic nerve. You have the eyes through which you pass. And the optic nerve acts from the other direction, from a kind of beyond, is still conjuring images as you come back in. Then you become intimate with the optic nerve again, which makes an ordered world from these images. And the same is true with all the other senses. Thus, simply by noting facts, you can see how waking up actually involves slipping back into the body. So what is the nature of sleep? You need only properly consider these realities and then you will acknowledge that a sleeper must in some way be outside of the body. And now let us reflect again upon ordinary waking consciousness. Those in my audience familiar with anthroposophy will find me repeating what I have said elsewhere. If we examine thinking, we will discover that this is where we are really awake. We are intimate with our thinking and are fully awake. So the thinking we possess within us is something we intimately accompany when we awake. That's where we really are awake. But now let us consider feeling. If you carefully observe your own experience, you will not be able to locate feeling as a presence in you as keen as thinking. You will find that feeling is already less logical than thinking. In feeling, after all, we permit ourselves to be far less logical than in thinking. We allow ourselves far greater scope and indulgence to react with sympathy or antipathy to things than we would permit in the pursuit of mathematics. If it were a matter of feeling, a housewife would far prefer two pounds and another two pounds to make five pounds. Not just housewives, everyone would prefer this. But thinking would not allow it. Thinking depends on exactitude and precision. Briefly, while the content of dream may be different from that of feeling, the vagueness and indeterminacy of feeling is equal to that of dream. When we feel things, we are in the same condition as when we are dreaming. While feelings do not unfold in images as dreams do, their quality and character are certainly a kind of waking dream.
As we know, if we want to embed or immerse our logical thoughts in the realm of art, we have to resort to feeling. Art does not exist without it. We have to invoke feeling, lend thought an element that resembles dream. By this means, we create inwardly something similar to what the dream world presents to us, as it were, from without. Inwardly, we do not create logical thoughts, but imaginative pictures. And in all ages, people have felt that dreams seem to approach us from without, in unknown and strange or striking guises, and yet that they resemble the inward pictures we can conjure in the imagination. And if we now turn to the will, it is perfectly apparent that our waking mind knows nothing of it. We first have a thought, the idea that we wish to go somewhere or other. Even if we must specifically speak of the will when we wake up in the morning, because we feel that we are taking control of the body again, nevertheless we know nothing about this will. We have some thought to go somewhere or other, but we do not know how this thought shoots down into our organism and moves our legs, so that this will is enacted. You can observe yourself moving, of course, but the mind remains unaware of what occurs between having the thought and the manifestation of will, as unaware as if one were asleep. In fact, you are asleep as you unfold your will and as it acts within your organism. So we can say that feeling is dreaming while we are awake, and will is sleeping while we are awake. As far as will is concerned, we never awaken at all in the ordinary waking mind. During the day, too, in waking consciousness, this activity of will occurs in a sleeping condition. Thus, while we only actually sleep a third of our lives, some more, some less, of course, we recoup this imbalance by sleeping in waking life, too, that is, in our will. If you work this out, we therefore sleep a good deal more than a third of our lives. And feelings. They are the dreams that rise up out of the will and stimulate thoughts. Just as dreams emerge from sleep, feeling emerges from will. You can actually observe this. Imagine you have a flower in front of you. You could pick it and carry it away and then you possess it physically. In doing so, you have used an impulse of will. If you can't carry it away with you, instead you can make do with its fragrance, its pleasant scent, the sympathy it elicits from you. You experience the flower only within you, in your feeling life. But then we might perhaps ask, what is a pleasant feeling? A pleasant feeling is the inner diluted experience corresponding to the stronger experience that we actually seek, which is an act of will. We wish to possess something that engages our sympathy. But if we cannot have it, it remains merely pleasant, sympathetic to us. Thus feeling is a weaker will. It is just that dreaming occurs in a different way in us when we are awake than when we're asleep. Dreaming while we're asleep is sleep held back. Feeling, while we're awake, is will not fully enacted. 
If there were no inhibiting factors in us, we would want everything that we find sympathetic and push away from ourselves everything, including expressions of will, that we do not like. But when we feel, we keep our will constrained. When we feel, we merely dream of wanting instead of really wanting. Now, if we indicate the division between sleep and waking life with a simple vertical line, you can see that we have thinking while we're awake with nothing corresponding to it while we're asleep. During sleep, we have dreaming, which corresponds to feeling when we're awake. Then we have will in waking life, and this corresponds to deep sleep, real sleep, dreamless sleep. Thus we see that feeling and dreaming really live in the same element, as do will and sleep. Dreaming is what we do at night, which corresponds to the feeling life we have during the day. They are the same conditions. At some point, what feels in us during the day must dream, and what wills in us during the day must enter upon dreamless sleep. Thus the alternation between feeling and will during the day, or dreaming and manifesting this sleeping condition of the will, depends on being inside or outside the body. You can gain a view of our core being as able either to be inside or outside the body. When it is outside the body, it is either in dreamless sleep or it allows dreams to rise up. When it inhabits the body, it wills or feels. But when it enters the body, it encounters thinking. Thinking is not something that can be outwardly seen. Throughout life it exists within us, but is invisible. Now, because it is invisible, alongside what is physically visible, we refer to what thinks as, in quotes, etheric body, though as we will see we can call it this for another reason as well. Throughout life this etheric body remains within the human body when we are both asleep and awake. The element that feels does not remain inside the body, but strolls out of it when we sleep and allows dreams to arise. We call this the astral body, in quotes. And the element that wills and dwells in dreamless sleep we call the I, capital. And so, simply through careful observation, we discover these three invisible aspects of the human being, etheric body, astral body, and I. There is, of course, no doubt about the reality of the physical body. We see the physical body with our physical senses. The other aspects that constitute us are imperceptible to the physical senses. Can they in some way be rendered visible, perceptible, tangible? Yes, this can be done by undertaking the following. As I said, when we are awake, we live from within outward. Now, imagine the eye, E-Y-E, or some other sense organ, from which nerves radiate. Nerves end in the eye. Now, let's consider the waking state. When we are living closely bound up with our thinking, that is, with the nerves in our physical body, 
We are bound up with these nerves. Yet we do not live only in thinking, but also in our sense impressions. We can say that a nerve radiates into the sensory impression or picture. We can also express this physiologically. The nerve connects with blood circulation, and by this means it enters into the sensory image, and then we perceive the outer world. But consider what happens when, instead of perceiving the outer world, we develop only the life of the nerve itself, and only go as far as the end of the nerve. We stop short of the blood circulation, but go only as far as the nerve's endings. Then we have a memory picture, that is, a thought that remains memory. It is shadowy, therefore, pale, because it does not reach the blood. In ordinary life we have sense perceptions which pass into the nerves, whose ends lie in the body. We also experience memory, which goes no further than the nerve ends. Here thinking is invoked, becomes a memory picture, whereas if it pushes on further and connects with the blood, it becomes sense perception. If it only pushes through as far as the nerve ends and does not push further, it becomes memory. But initially we cannot remember anything other than what we already bear within us. Now, imagine that through certain practices we become able not only to push to the end of the nerve that we bear within us, but also that we absorb from the other direction, from without. So imagine that you not only push to your nerve endings what you first allow to enter your head, but also what you absorb from the world without sense perception, or what you absorb without sense perception via your spinal cord. Then this experience pushes into the nerve from the other direction, see drawing. Then you gain the pictures we call the content of imagination which will enable you to perceive this etheric body, which contains within it the activity of thinking. And as we will see tomorrow, we can also take up into our feeling something that does not first come from outside us and is reflected in us, but that we take into the body as if in reverse. Then comes inspiration. This does not enter the nerves, but the breathing process, and by this means we comprehend the astral body. And finally, when we develop intuition, no longer experiencing only what we ourselves have learned in life, but feeling ourselves as the other person's living reality, when we entirely enter into the other person, then intuition arises. And by this means we comprehend the I, capital, and the will. And so we can say this, we comprehend the etheric body through imagination. We comprehend the astral body through inspiration. We comprehend the eye through intuition. In ordinary life, we do not have the eye, but the eye sleeps. We know only as much about our eye, which is asleep, as we know of darkness when we are in the dark. The objects are there, but we do not see them. In the same way, we are asleep to the eye. By means of the most rigorous thinking, we can, in a sense, discover the things that are 
described fully in my book titled Theosophy, the physical body, the etheric body, astral body, and I. And then we can also show how these aspects of human nature can become apparent and perceptible to us through imagination, inspiration, and intuition. The end of Lecture 2